Before we start this episode, I wanted to let you know that I will be in conversation with the brilliant author and broadcaster Candice Brathwaite at The Lyric in Soho on the 1st of November, talking all about the themes of this podcast and more. You can book tickets at fane.co.uk forward slash Pandora. We need to remove the picture of what we think oh, that's the right way to do it. Therefore, she cried lots. She talked about it. Um, and then we went out drinking. Great, she's fine. It's like, that's not how it works. You're listening to Doing It Right with me, Pandora Sykes, a podcast where I talk to experts about the myths, anxieties and trends of modern life. There's no such thing as the right life, but what might we be getting wrong? In this series, I'll be exploring the ins and outs of sex, self-care and sadness and lobbing big questions at my guests like, could a four-day work week ever really take off? Why is society getting lonelier? And what would a fair justice system look like? This is a podcast that asks, what can we do to live life better? Not just for ourselves, but for everyone. I'm so pleased to bring you a little season two extra, a bonus episode sponsored by Sage Appliances with Cariad Lloyd, which we recorded in front of a live audience a month ago. Cariad is a comedian and writer and the creator of the cult podcast Griefcast, where she interviews famous people, often comedians, like Robert Webb, David Baddiel and Sarah Pascoe, about the human experience of death and grief. She's also currently writing a book about it. The podcast has won multiple British podcast awards. I'm so pleased we got to do this one live. Cariad is incredibly funny and thoughtful, even when she's talking, as she does almost weekly, about something as heavy as grief. I'm really interested in grief, why we fear other people's grief, why we expect grief to look a certain way, the lack of nuance in our understanding of grief. What I love about Griefcast is the way it democratises grief. There is no one way to grieve, there is no hierarchy of grief. People, as we get into, do very weird things when they are grieving. Grief makes you weird. Grief is very sad, says Cariad. It's also funny and absurd and weird and life enhancing. Cariad's also given loads of recommendations for resources which are invaluable. Of the messages I get sent via social media, I get asked for grief recommendations more than anything else. And I've included these in the show notes, plus some books that I also recommend. You can listen to Cariad's new series of Griefcast now on all good pod platforms, and you can find Griefcast on Twitter at The Griefcast. I so hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you for listening to season two of Doing It Right. I've loved every second of making it. You can rate and review on iTunes if you feel so inclined. I start by asking Cariad, what is the biggest myth about grief? We say on the podcast, like, if you're either in the club or you're not, it's kind of our way of making it seem less shit as we pretend we're in a club. <laughs> it sounds exclusive. And I think the biggest, it's hard to narrow it down to one myth, but I think the biggest problem is people not in the club have struggled to understand what it's like to be in the club. So there's a lot of ideas of what grief is, what grief looks like, how someone should behave. Mm. And 
if you're watching someone go through grief or if you've been through grief yourself, you know that it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to. So I think we all have this idea of like, oh, I'll be sad, um, I'll mope around, then I'll watch like she's got mail and I'll feel better. Like it's, it's this idea that it's gonna be neat and tidy and that you'll get over it. And actually that's, if anyone has been bereaved or is in grief, you know, it doesn't look anything like that. And you are in your own words, the go-to grief girl. <laughs> What, 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 what a title. do you want to start a podcast about grief? So um, if you haven't listened to the show, you might be thinking, why did she do this? Why did she choose it? So my dad died when I was 15. Um, and I joined the club early is the joke. I got there, set out the twiglets, made sure everyone was fine. And um, I've been talking about grief for a really long time with different people and it used to be this thing that I talked about so you might be at a party or something and you'd be just chatting to someone and they might be like oh sorry my mum passed away and I'd be like oh hey hey my dad passed away we can talk about it like you found someone I found someone in the club and then you have this joy of oh they're not going to think I'm weird or depressing we can just have so I'd had all these conversations and in 2016 it was if you remember those glory days, the birth of podcasts. Every comedian ha had a podcast. All my friends were starting, like, it was like, oh, I'm going to do a podcast it's about my- It's new cupcake business. It was, it was. It was like, oh, I like lamps. I'm going to do a lamp podcast, but funny. Um, so I was just walking along North London and I thought, oh, if I did a podcast, I'll just talk to people about death. And then I laughed because I thought, what a terrible idea that is. No one would listen to it. And it was just one of those ideas that wouldn't go away. It just wouldn't go away. And I was, I was pregnant with my daughter and um, work was slow because I was pregnant and no one wanted me to be in their things. So I thought, oh, well, maybe I could just record some chats, put them out there, forget about it, just make this idea leave me alone. So it was, you know, that idea that just keeps turning up every morning and I got annoyed with it and I thought, oh, if I just deal with you. So that's where it began was just, I recorded four chats. Yeah, Sarah Pascoe, Jade Adams, Adam Buxton and J producer John Harvey. And I just put them on SoundCloud and just thought, well, at least it's done. The idea can leave me alone. Had my baby. And then emails started coming in because I created an email. So I thought, oh, that's clever. I should have an email. And emails just kept coming in of people going, oh, I really needed this conversation. Thank you. And oh, my God, I didn't know other people felt like this. And I felt like the idea had showed up at my door, really showed up at my door. Felt like it had been emailing me for a while. And then this grief arrived and was like, you have to talk about it. That's a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, it's not at all. Leaving aside the fact that you couldn't get much work when you were pregnant, which annoys me so much that this is still oh, a thing. Yeah. Uh, it's five years ago. Now, of course, completely different situation for women who are having babies. Everything's changed everything's in changed. Uh, five years. That's also been completed. <laughs> um, and I was about to say, I don't know this. I just know that's the case with sadness. But actually, we do know this by the fact that Often when someone's died, someone will go, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Yeah, you know, it's like people find it deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. Why? Is Was there a time where it was like, were they more okay with talking about it then than now? <laughs> grief guru, tell grief me guru. what happened. Um, grief, namas grief. I think it's varied a lot culturally. And I think we are still dealing with probably the last 300, 400 years in England of our death culture. Although I would caveat, which is something I found really interesting. I went to Sweden to do a, a grief cast live at their podcast festival. And I was like, oh, you know, obviously we're the worst. And the Swedish were like, we can't even say your podcast. Like they, they were worse than us. And I was so shocked. I thought, 
we all think we're the worst. Oh, English people are so bad at talking about death. They don't even, you know, we might say, oh, sorry for your loss. They don't have a phrase. So they said there's an old Swedish phrase that's used for when someone dies, but it's the equivalent of me saying, oh, thou sister of mine in wedded bliss, I send my sorrows upon your soul. <laughs> so they said they don't, they can't use it because it's really old fashioned. So one of them was like, yeah, so we don't have a phrase. So we tend to not say anything. And I was like, God, at least we have sorry for your loss. <laughs> like Everyone moans about sorry for your loss. But I think, um, yeah, I find it interesting that every every culture i think struggles really with death every, there's not many cultures that don't there's some that there's some that keep it present more and i think that's the problem mm. if you want to look at why we are bad it's about the history of the industrialization of the medical industry basically in that's a terrible way of phrasing it but we used to have lots more um children the death used to infant mortality rate was higher but also the adult mortality rate was higher people used to die at home and so people would see bodies so if you had got to if you were 25 years old you would have seen a few dead bodies people used to be wrapped in shrouds and like carried to graves before coffins get involved that's what you need to be aware of when we think oh we're bad at grief is like actually we're not good at death so we've removed death, we've removed bodies yes. and what happens. I did an amazing episode with Dr. Catherine Mannix, who wrote with the end in mind, who is a former palliative care consultant. So in the episode with Dr. Catherine Mannix, we went through what happens to a body when it dies. And she literally spoke like, at this point, they do this, this point, this sound happens. And I, 20 years on from watching my dad die, was like, what? I didn't know that. Oh my God, that's what my dad did. Why don't we know what sounds bodies make? And that's that's the thing, we're so unpractised at seeing people die. So of course then yeah. that gets wrapped up into grief because most people die in hospitals. Most people, you know, we don't really understand what's happened to them or they're heavily sedated. So we just, it's just not in our face in the same way. And I think that's not, it's easy to be like, oh, who should we blame for that? But I think it's just what's happened. And it, as I'm quite sort of pragmatic about things. And so I think, well, that's what's happened. What do we need to do to balance that? Like. Sure, we can all go and look at dead bodies. <laughs> Probably not that much fun. Or we can just realise that we're quite removed from something. Mm. So how do we make ourselves a bit desensitised to it? How can we try and not go, oh, I've never seen dead body and I've never been to a funeral and I, my friend had someone who died, so I'm just not going to talk about it. And be like, oh, mm, that's something with me, isn't it? Okay, I need to get better at, at having that conversation or, you know, I'm listening to a podcast where it talks about someone who's died. Like maybe it's because it's something that's going to happen to us all. Mm. If I was doing a podcast on mortgage options, I'd understand if you're like, yeah, not for me. I'm going to rent all my life. Fine. But like death is going to happen to you and someone you love. So it's kind of, it's kind of essential knowledge. I find it weird that we don't mortgage talk about options. <laughs> that's how much I know about mortgage. To be mortgage honest, I actually, I actually wouldn't be averse to listening to a podcast about something like that. Same. Because again, yeah. That is just very difficult to understand. Yeah. <laughs> Why aren't we taught this stuff in schools? But I think that's a really good point you If raised. I could do mortgage cost, I would, but I don't, <laughs> I don't understand it, sadly. About the kind of visibility, it, mm. it's just not visible now. And that's not to say, as you say, that we need to make it literally visible, but we need to make it present in conversations. And that's, and that's what Griefcast does. You mentioned that, um, tragically, your dad died when you were 15. Have you been interested in the process of grief since then or was it when you were older and you realized that you said losing your dad at 15 meant a lot of people came to you in your adolescence and 20s saying oh my god I've lost someone what do I do mm. is that what sort of kept grief as a 
subject rather it's always going to be a process because you've, yeah, you've lost yeah. your dad but as a subject that you kept returning to what kind of kept it yes yeah, weird because you've obviously got you've obviously got I mean I think it's incredibly interesting but you obviously you know it is your mastermind subject yeah I know <laughs> I don't know how this has happened like so I have an older brother and obviously we both lost our dad and my my brother is always like yeah, I don't know why you're still talking about it. <laughs> like, he has a completely different experience. Like, for him, it's like, yeah, it was something sad. And I felt like we didn't get much support. So, mm. as ever, what makes someone an activist about something is because when they happened to them, they were like, nothing was here. This was shit. So, I was like, I never want someone to have to go through that alone. As I think I felt that we had. But we did have lots of help. I'm probably being unfair. It felt very lonely as a 15-year-old. That's interesting what you say about you and your brother. It reminds me of a conversation you had with Julia Samuel, who wrote Griefworks and has been on Doing It Right Before. We're both a huge fan of Julia Samuel. I, I thought that was such a great point that Julia made that what she says to people quite early on in their grief journey is you've got to try and understand that other person's point of view. Yeah, the way I've described it, because I... <laughs> It's difficult once you get into gender reactions, especially of now, course. which I think, it, it, you know, it, it, you, things used to be clearer that we now understand gender is a bit more fluid. And I think it, like masculine tendency. So I have, I think, quite a traditional masculine brain about things. So that's how I try and talk about in the podcast. It's like if you, and masculine's a shit word for it, but like if, if you can relate to those qualities that we consider masculine, your brain might react like this to grief yes, and your reaction might be it. tidy it, deal with it, control it, fix it. I've got the drill and I've sorted. And that is, that is how drill I... Drill grief. Drill of grief. <laughs> Toolbox, guys. That is how I definitely reacted to things like, how can we right, deal with this, tidy it up? Come on, let's go. Um, and if you have more if you're more feminine slash emotional, you know, you don't have to be a woman to have those qualities in your brain, then you might be more happy to sit with it and to replay it a lot. But really what I think you can spread it even further is everybody grieves differently. Yeah. That's such an important thing. And I struggled with my family because, you know, my brother did grieve differently. And I was like, why, why don't you care about this? Why are you not bothered about this? And you know, like he said, he he does. He obviously, he's happy that I do the podcast, but he does think it's a bit weird. <laughs> like she hasn't got over it in his head. And I think when you grieve, sometimes you have to deal with like your fam, your friends not getting it, mm. and that can be very lonely. And if you have to deal with your family not getting it, that can be really lonely because mm. that's you sort of expect your family to come together, and that doesn't always happen. People grieve really differently, and the way I try and justify it or explain it is when someone dies you're in relationship to that person so you know it's like in a group of friends like you could be really good friends with someone but it's completely different when you see them with another person you're like oh look at them dancing and drinking that's not what we do we do tea and cake how come they oh my god they're taking drugs i didn't know they did like you see the different sides of people and it's you have to adjust your brain and go oh yeah they're you know we're all different different people and when yeah. you when someone dies that relationship's gone. The one you had, the tea and cake is gone, but the one the dancing, drinking person has gone. So we're nobody is one person. We, we are different in relation to people. So if you can understand that, then you can understand when someone dies, when that center person is gone, everyone is going to react differently because they've lost a different thing. They've lost that relationship they had to each other. And that's really what they... So that's the problem. Again, when we talked about what we said at the beginning of like in the club, out of the club. So if you're in the club, you understand grief is messy and confusing. But if you're out of it, you're like, someone dies, we all feel sad. 
No, someone dies. Some of us are punching walls. Some of us are not talking about it. Some of us are constantly crying and journaling and talking to everybody and want to bring it up all the time. And all the other people are like, ah, I don't want to talk about it. Like, why does she keep bringing it up? So we have to be sensitive to each other and not read. I think we sometimes are guilty of reading, oh, you cried, you're dealing with it. Because people can not cry and be fine and not be dealing with it. We need to remove the picture of what we think oh, that's the right way to do it. Therefore, she cried lots. She talked about it. Um, and then we went out drinking. Great, she's fine. It's like, that's not how it works. That you was know? just one day. It was just one day. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> really fun time. Somebody cannot talk about it at all. And I've had people say, so as go-to grief girls, people come to me and go, oh, you know, so-and-so's mum died, but she's like not talking about it. So we all think like, she's not okay. Like, maybe she is. Maybe she just don't want to talk about it with you. <laughs> or yeah. maybe she's dealing with it privately. Or Because that's know. a really important thing, isn't it? Is that your grief is so precious. You don't want to necessarily give everyone access to it. So yeah. I can imagine that there might, that it's probably quite healthy to to think quite carefully about who you're taking yes, that to. definitely. And I, that's when someone says to me, oh, they're not talking to me about it. I think, well, they're probably talking to someone else. <laughs> like, there probably is someone who's not coming to me, who's just getting it, being there, or and normally is in the club as well. If you, you yeah. want to speak to people who've been through what you've been through, you know, same with anything. If, if someone has a similar job that you want to do, you go and ask them, oh, how did you get into journalism? You don't go and ask your accountant. But with grief, everyone wants to be like, oh, I, I should be getting all their grief. You know, they should come to me. I'm their friend. And it's like, you need to find someone who can hold your grief with care. And I think that, yeah, it's really important to, oh, I had another point, I've forgotten it. But yeah, to, oh yeah, um, I had an episode with a writer called Kaylee Llewellyn. She's an amazing writer. She wrote a sitcom called In My Skin. It's actually not sitcom, comedy drama. And she lost six members of her family in a year. Oh my I mean, gosh. yeah, just like, she rang me the first time her dad had died. And then when I interviewed her, she's like laughing, going, oh, do you remember when it was just my dad? It's like she lost repeated amount of people. And she described on the show, really stayed with me that she would be in the pub, just trying to have an hour off, you know? And then mm. people would catch her, you know, going to buy a drink. And they'd be like, how are you? Oh, she'd be like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm all right. Yeah, but how are you and she said what well, it felt like to her is like they wanted their moment they wanted their moment of her grief and she's like don't make me don't make me get it out now like I'm just in the pub I'm just with friends like this is a you don't deserve it and you don't need it and really it's only gonna make you feel better because you'll be like I spoke to Kaylee yeah it's not good like they want to tell someone else and I think if you really think about someone in grief it's like I mean, it sounds like I'm saying there's nothing you can do to help. There are things you can do to help, but you just have to really judge hour by hour with somebody who's grieving. And I think that anecdote as well really shows how individual grief is and how different people's mm. approaches will be because that, when you were telling that story, I was just thinking about a friend of mine um, who said how difficult she found it when she went to a wedding and everyone knew that her dad had died, but no one said anything. Yeah, yeah. And she was just like, it was like the elephant in the room and they knew and they didn't... And they didn't say anything. And I can remember that obviously completely different scenario. But I remember when my sister had cancer, I was at someone's 30th and I was talking to a friend next to me and they said, how are you? And I said, because like you, I was quite pragmatic about it. I was like, it's not, I'm not, it's not a secret. It's not like a good yeah, secret. So yeah. I, was, I was like, oh, it's been a bit of a tough time. My sister's got cancer. She's fine now. Thank, thank goodness. 
And um, he goes, oh, yeah, I heard. And I was like, well, then why have you not said something? Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, but then hearing <clears throat> you saying that she was like, I just want an hour off. Equally, I might have gone to the wedding in, uh, to the 30th. 30th wedding's all sort of same. <laughs> I might have gone and been like, God, I hope no one asked me about that today. I don't have the energy to talk about it. So it just shows, doesn't yeah. it? That it's really easy to get it wrong. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy. Although I would, get, um, just to caveat, Katie's, I think, was like, people who don't know you that well are like when you're just at a pub. And it was like, I'm just passing you. Like, yes, okay, I'm just oh, trying to go for a week. Yeah, yeah. But I agree with you. I think, and that's the big thing is ask. Don't be afraid to ask. And equally, I I think it, the onus has to be on both parties. We can't just be grieving people going, everyone gets it wrong. You should just know what's in my brain. That's so unhelpful. And we need to also be at a point where we go, ah, oh, just not great time to talk about it. Sorry. But thanks for asking. We need someone to be like, oh, Okay, rather than, oh God, sorry, I didn't, just let it be, it's fine. That's so mean that they don't want to talk to me. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I definitely think, we we have so many ways of communicating with people. You can DM someone, you can WhatsApp someone, you can text them, you can ring them, you can email. Too like, many, Carrie, too, too many. many. And yet when someone dies, people are like, oh, I didn't know what to say. What do you mean? You could have literally sent me you okay like are you okay hun on whatsapp that would have i would i'm just gonna put it out there i would not want you okay hun when i'm grieving random text thinking of you here for mm. you emoji heart that is just what golden world we live in that we have that we can do that we don't have to like sit down and write a letter and hope that in two weeks they get it and they, that we they knew we were thinking that we can so instantly say hey 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 you're you know thinking of you no i wouldn't advise you okay hun but it might make someone laugh <laughs> It would make me laugh. That's uh, I heard you've had a rough week. Yeah, Are yeah. you FF? Yeah. <laughs> One of the many interviews you've done that I just found so thought-provoking and meaningful and also very funny <clears throat> was with the writer Joel Golby, oh, who yeah, yeah. has also written, he wrote an amazing piece of The Guardian, about becoming an orphan by the age of 25. Yeah. And one of the things he talks about is that he was really weird. For like a good three years, he was mm. really weird and people didn't know what to do with it because obviously he was intensely traumatised. Yeah, yeah. And people didn't really know what to do with this like weirdness. And he'd turn up to the pub and people would be like, you drunk? And he'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm wasted. <laughs> it's like, I'm having a really shit night. <laughs> and I thought that was such an important point to be raised. Is you, you've kind of touched on how there's not, people don't perform a certain way when they're grieving. Mm. But that sometimes going through a massive life change and trauma can make you really weird. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about what you've learned through talking to lots of people about that and how maybe we can support people when they're being weird. super weird? <laughs> Joel, one of my favourite things with Joel is that um, he got shit off the internet for people saying he wasn't a proper orphan because... <laughs> <laughs> one of his parents died when he was 25 and apparently orphan is like both of them when you're a you kid before you're 16 yeah and he was like we were like wow some people are getting shitty with Joel but like yeah you were 25 so it can't be that bad so look I my oh, definition of orphan is you've lost both your parents you yeah. can be 75 I count you as an orphan I mean you probably don't need my orphan sympathy but I'd still count you as an orphan I think also it come this idea of people being weird comes from a strange idea that you're always going to be the same person, which yes. I think we need to let go of. So if you knew someone as a teenager, if you knew me as a teenager, and now you hear I'm talking about grief all the time, you'd be like, that's weird. You should not really talk about it at school that much. It's like, yeah, not to you, James, because you were mean. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like, we're very different people from five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. If someone has lost someone if someone in their life has died who is fundamental to them they've now got a hole where that was they've got like and it, I, a hole sounds like 
I, I hate anything schmaltzy about grief. I hate anything mawkish that's like anything beach footprint, sunset bullshit. No, but there is there is something missing because there's a, the relationship you had with that person is now not there. But you still have that. Oh, we used, that was that person I took that to, and they're not there. Where do I put this? And so they are going to change. They will fundamentally change forever because of that loss. In the same way that you change forever if you go traveling or you you know take a job or you go bungee jumping these things change us gonna go oh wow I'm really brave or wow I didn't know I could do that or wow I went to that country and I learned that death is just another thing on the on the road of life <laughs> that will change you and obviously it's massive and it's huge and it deserves probably more sympathy than oh you went to India for six months tell me about it <laughs> like you know wait don't tell me yeah don't don't <laughs> God, don't tell me about it, please. I, I, got, I get it. I know. I've seen the films. It happened. So I think if we just normalise the idea that people are constantly changing and if your friend has changed, could be for many reasons, could be because of the grief, could be because they finally realised their dad is dead and that was the only person they were ever trying to keep happy and now they don't need to. Like there's so many things that that relationship can explode open. Especially I think it's quite tricky if you know they didn't get on with a parent. And often people are like, yeah, but you didn't even like them. You're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like that I find really interesting. And you've had people talk about the death of someone that they were estranged from and how that can, it can feel like a relief. Yeah. But it can also, you can suddenly get this grief that you didn't expect to have because you weren't that close. And I think you raise a really good point of, well, they weren't that close. You know, there's a lot of maths that goes on. Like, well, this person was closest to this person. Yeah. So they will feel the worst. This person found that person quite tricky, so they'll they'll be fine. They yeah. won't feel anything. Which I mean, ha this is really pertinent when you come to talk about miscarriage, baby loss, child loss. Like mm. we all know that conversation. Oh, she had a miscarriage. Oh, how many weeks? Oh, two. All oh, right. As if mm. that makes any difference. Oh, oh, twenty-five. Oh, oh, that sounds bad. Somebody lost a baby. If they lost, if you lose a baby when you're when you're pregnant. You've already done the maths. You've already done the due date. You've already imagined lots of stuff. That's grief. That's grief. There's no, you know, they don't, you don't win any prizes for going like, oh, 30 weeks versus three. Like it's still grief. And obviously there's more traumatic circumstances. I would never minimize anyone's trauma of having to go through that situation. It's awful. But what I think's interesting is not the people who go through the grief, the people outside the grief that want to put a value on it. Like you said, to do the grief maths. Yeah. I want to, I want to know how sympathetic should I be? Should I be two weeks sympathetic? Oh, you were close to your dad. Oh, I'm more sympathetic. Oh, you didn't talk to your mum for three years. Well, I mean, you'll be all right. <laughs> like, we have to understand that you don't have to be like super close and happy with relation in relationship with someone to not be affected by it. How many people have exes that they fucking hate that it's still if something happens to them, they're affected by it. Hate doesn't equal, oh, I'm not bothered. <laughs> oh, I hate that person. So I found out they're getting married and having a baby, even though that's why we break up. Oh, I'm fine. Like that, this value we're trying to put on everyone's experience rather than just going, I see your experience. You're upset. That sounds awful. And this estrangement is a very complicated one. I haven't been through it myself, but yeah, I've interviewed people. I have a very close friend that's estranged from one of her parents. And estrangement, what happens is they tend to go through the grief during the estrangement. So that is when they lose the parent because that parent has died because they will not be in their life, but they haven't died in reality. So there's like a, a weird grief that they, complicated grief is the technical term I believe psychologists use. 
because they've grieved someone, they haven't had them in life, but now they are really dead and now they're having to grieve stuff that maybe was in the past 10 years ago, the childhood they wanted, the parent they never got. There's so much stuff in grief that isn't just someone died. Mm. I think we just need to give space for people's emotions to be complicated and confusing. And I didn't have a great relationship with my dad. I really didn't. And I, a lot of people, when they come on the show, what they expect is daddy's girl, Oh, I'm, I loved him he so much. He was my best friend. He was my best Oh my God. Like we just, he was such a nightmare. <laughs> he was such a difficult person. That's why I'm still talking about it. If he was great, I'd be done. I'd be like, yeah, he You're died. Work that was him out. I'm trying to work this fucking idiot out still. <laughs> Sorry, 20 years on. So I think that's it as well. People, we just, just stop placing any kind of assumptions on anyone's life, on any relationships. And I'd use that as a, a, you know, a good rule of thumb, not for grief. You don't know mm. what's going on. Someone can lose a baby at two weeks and be fine. You know, I interviewed um, comedian Sarah Barron and she talked about her miscarriage, but she was very like, I'm okay. It didn't, you know, it was, ups it was upsetting at the time, but I don't feel changed by it. I feel great. I feel all right. And then you interview other people who are broken by that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean one person is right or wrong. It's just different experiences. This special live episode of Doing It Right is sponsored by Sage Appliances and their new Bambino coffee machine. The Bambino is a professional at-home espresso machine that packs a serious punch without taking up valuable counter space. Don't have the skills of a barista, but still dying for cafe quality coffee at home? The Bambino brings Sage's precision engineering and wealth of knowledge to the market in a perfectly compact little machine. As working from home becomes a reality, not just for us podcasters, why not invest in a home comfort? Doing it right listeners can get a 15% discount off all espresso products on the Sage website. Go to sageappliances.co.uk using the code Bambino all day. That's sageappliances.co.uk and the code Bambino all day. The Bambino all day code is valid until November the 30th. Please note that the code has one use per person and must be inputted at checkout before completing the purchase. Obviously, a lot of grief cast is sad. A lot of it is really funny. I have listened to some <coughs> really funny episodes. In fact, almost every episode has moments of levity. Some of them actually don't turn out to be that sad at all. So yeah, basically, yeah. it's a mixed bag, guys. <laughs> um, what about... But that is something I hear quite a lot. Is when, you know, when I say to friends, like, how was the funeral? And, you know, say, oh, it was really sad. But, oh, my God, there was this absolutely ridiculous moment <laughs> where so-and-so was carrying the casket and they tripped. They tripped on so-and-so's dress and you saw her knickers and it was so <laughs> awful, but we just all really needed to laugh. Yeah, and cry. Yeah. What is it about death and grief that can be very funny? Is it that there is no script, so no one has a clue what they're doing? Is it the absurdity? Is it a bit of everything? Yeah, I think it's a bit of everything. And obviously, as someone who loves comedy and is always looking for what's funny about something, what I've realised, death isn't a different experience. As in, you know what I mean? It's like I keep saying, it's part of life. Mm. Everything in life can be funny. Someone breaking up with you can be funny. You know, falling over face first into shit can be <laughs> funny if you're watching it, not if it's you. So death's the same. Like, it's just another thing that we have to deal with. But we place it on this pedestal of it will be angels and it will be weeping. And it's like, 
No, death is just a per people are messy and confusing and complicated. And when they die, it can be messy and confusing and complicated and funny. I think funerals is slightly different because I think funerals is it's a release. I really do think funny things happen that I swear to God, if they happened in the supermarket, you go, <laughs> all right. But a funeral, you're like, oh my God, so funny things happen. I'm crying. Because you, it's like school, you know, you can't. You're digging your nails in and your shoulders are shaking. You see your friend is laughing. You're like, we both can't do this. And it's just that formality, I think, makes something extra funny. But I, I mean, we laughed so much when my dad was dying. Um, I say just laughing because it sounds like a terrible sentence. Because, well, one, he did stupid. So the story was that he pretended to die. We came in to visit him. He pretended to be dead before he was dead. That's real, a risky little game. It's a real funny, risky game. And me and my mum were just like, not funny. Like, we just did not think. And he was like, oh, I couldn't even speak. And he was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> we were like, God. yeah. I told Julia that, St. Julia Samuel. And she was like, hmm, interesting. Do you think he was trying to, like, play out what was going to happen? Prepare to you. Yeah, prepare you. And I was like, yeah, or he was really, he had a terrible sense of humour. <laughs> like, so I think, I think stuff can happen that's funny in that situation because it's so sad so your body's so grateful for the laugh you know it becomes mm. and my other theory is that when you're around death it's so fucking depressing to watch someone die that when you laugh a lot of oxygen comes into your lungs and I really believe there's something sort of fundamental that makes you like yeah I can breathe I can laugh I'm gonna be okay I'm gonna be okay because something deep in your brain needs to go I'm not dying when you're watching someone die mm. e even though you know you're not, so it just reminds you you're going to, which I guess why people don't like doing it or looking at it because it's like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, but I'm also so vital. It's like that paradox. Yeah, I, yeah God. I mean, when my dad was um, in hospital, I remember, this is an ironic sentence, I used to smoke a lot and I remember going outside to have a fag. Yes, he was dying of cancer. Yeah, I get it. I know, but fuck you. Um, <laughs> my dad was dying and I would go outside and have a fag and I would like take in this huge lung ball of fag, cigarette. <laughs> but I would remember feeling like, oh God, like, yeah, you can breathe because it doesn't feel like you can breathe in a hospital when someone's dying. Mm. Everything's so slow. I think, again, we can just go, it's normal. And that's why in the show, we always talk about the funny stuff because I know from other people grieving that used to like, we used to hide it. So people would like come to me and say, oh, you know, my dad died. That was a really funny thing that happened. Don't tell anyone. But while we were watching it and they would be like, oh, I can tell you, you're in a club. But don't tell anyone else we were laughing as if it was shameful. And I was like, come on, what if we all admit we're fucking laughing while this stuff is happening? Maybe we'll all stop feeling guilty about it. Because mm. people used to feel like, oh God, I know, awful, awful. We were laughing, we were laughing, but it was very funny. You're like, yeah, it's funny. It's all right. People dying, it's not. I don't know, God, it just happens. When you give birth, sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's awful, but there are definitely bits that are amusing in amongst all the awful All of the above, pain. I yeah, found. Yeah. yeah, all of the above, yeah, yeah. Everything. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not a binary experience, I suppose. No, 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 you don't have like a good, yeah. well, I was about to say you don't have a good birth or a bad birth. That's not true at all. You can... And you can have good deaths and bad deaths. Like yeah. there's definitely people who have interviewed who've had good deaths and that is what I think... When there's a sense of closure and peace. Gemma Whelan's episode, so she, she came on and I don't think she'll mind me saying this because I said it on the show, like her dad had a good death. Obviously no one wanted him to die. He was at home with um, Gemma and her brother and her mum. It was a summer's evening and he, it was peaceful. He wasn't, you know, he was obviously in pain, but he wasn't in pain at that moment. And she described they had the window open and the door open and like nothing, you know, nothing had moved. He died, they realized he'd gone and this breeze just came and closed the door. And when she said it to me, I was like, that is, 
we're all going to die. I'm not happy Gemma's dad died. I think it's awful. But to have, to try and aim for a good death is something that we can all do. We can all do that. We can try and aim for that. And that is, that's how you live your life, not your death. You can't have those conversations on the deathbed. You can't resolve everything and have closure. Someone probably won't be able to speak to you. But if you live your life in a help, in a good way and love people and tell people you love them and they know and everything is resolved as possible during life, when it comes to death, hopefully you can have a peaceful death. Obviously, it's not possible for everybody. Horrible things happen mm. when you have a terminal illness. You know, my dad couldn't speak at the end at all. He literally couldn't do it. But it's like birth, right? You know, you can aim for the aim water birth. <laughs> you can aim for it. Hey, two C-sections down, you might not get it. But it's no bad thing to try and aim for something, is it? I lost a friend last year who was a palliative care nurse called Kimberly St. Um, St. John, who was just the most incredible woman. And she was fighting and campaigning for better end of life care and for wow. people to be aware. And she had a stroke very suddenly and she had a plan. She'd spoken to her family. She'd written it down and she'd emailed them what to do if I have a stroke. So I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be revived. And she couldn't be in the end. But why aren't we having those conversations? Like, why aren't we telling people what we want? Because what happens is you go to a hospital with not many pregnant women would go to hospital without thinking about how the fuck am I going to do this? But we go to hospital with no idea how we're going to die. Why? Why aren't you tell, talking to someone being like, by the way, if they say to you, I'm brain dead, switch it off. I don't want to, I don't want you to mm. sit there for six months hoping I'll come back. I'm not going to. Like you can have se conversation. that separate to a will? So I've only just, it was having children where I was like, oh my God, I've got to yeah, make a yeah. will where I think you would then say where you want the, who you want to be a guardian yes, of your child. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. that's part of your will. No, I think you could have it in a will or you could, um, see, this is where the palliative care, wonderful Irene I spoke to is going to be annoyed with me for not remembering what it's called, but there is a, I'll, I will email you afterwards so people can Google it. Carrie had followed up with me after to let me know that it's called the Advanced Care Plan. Not advanced, there's no D on the end, just Advanced Care Plan. But I mean, I know what Kim did was that she just emailed her family and told them what her preferences were for things. So, you know, you don't have to, you don't yeah. have to formalize it. But um, in terms of funeral, yeah, have a conversation. What music do you fucking want played? There's going to be music played. And then people go, oh, well, I don't care. Yeah, but someone's going to have to make that choice. Someone's going to have to sit there going through fucking Spotify going, oh, this also, one, this a, one. Well, that brings me to what I wanted to ask you about, which is that when you are grieving and all of the, and like <coughs> the, the sad admin, yeah, yeah, so the sadmin, as you call it. <laughs> Talking is cheap and free. <laughs> you can say to somebody you love, by the way, that's the song I want playing at my funeral. By the way, I don't want to be buried. I want to be cremated. Like the simplest things. Oh, I I want to be thrown off a boat. Like, by the way, that person should never come to my funeral. Like, I just want you to know. Like, just start those conversations because the more we have those conversations, the more it becomes normal, the more it becomes less scary, the more when, it, when you are faced with that phone call, so-and-so has died, you're not like, what the fuck? You're like, oh yeah. She said that, didn't she? And she wanted me to tell that person and she wanted me to do that. I just don't know why we're not having this conversation. It makes yeah, no sense. Such a, it's such a good thing to normalise. Like you've completely, you've put something totally new into my brain and I feel like now I'm going to be that person at every dinner party <laughs> being like... I'm fun, right? So have you... No, but it's so thought-provoking. I'm going to print out all mine every time I see people. Yeah, and it's definitely... Happy Christmas. <laughs> Anytime you go on a plane or cross the road, there you go. That's my plan. Um, cross the road, yeah. yeah. That's how anxious I am. Crossing the road is, is quite stressful. 
I think the good thing about normalizing it is the more that one as an individual normalizes it, the more the conversations you have with other people, they will then start thinking about it. So that's what's quite nice is you can spread that really easily. So once you tell them, oh, this is my funeral plan, they'll be like, oh, well, God, what's my funeral plan? Yeah. You know, and then they, they'll go away and they think about it. Even if all you get is a song. And I guess this comes from my dad. I'm in the car, back of the car. My dad's driving. His song is on. And he goes, I want this played at my funeral. And I go, I'm like 10. And I go, okay. He goes, I want this played at my funeral. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I know what song it is? No, no idea. No, I do. Because I mean, I was 10, so I don't feel bad about it. But I thought... But you can still remember. Yeah, I can still remember, remember thinking, because because we had to have the conversation. My mom was like, what music? And I was like, oh, he did. What was it? Hang on. He did mention one. Hang on, it'll come to me. <laughs> like, and then you think, ah, oh, shit. Like, why didn't we... I don't blame myself. He could have told an adult, not a 10-year-old girl. <laughs> would have been made more sense. And my mum did make some choices that she was like, oh, yeah, no, he would have liked this. But it's like, yeah, just write it down. Just have, Because my dad was 44 when he died, which God, when I was... so young. Well, when I was 15, I thought he was pretty old, pretty old man. But now, approaching not, not that close, um, you do think, oh, that's really young. Why not have that conversation? But he really didn't think he was going to die. He was somebody who was like, not me. And so those are the really difficult ones <laughs> because they haven't planned for anything. Even when he was in the hospital, he was like, don't worry, guys. I've got this. A, I've got this. And we were like, oh, it doesn't look like you have. <laughs> so you mentioned as someone that's approaching that age, how does it feel to be approaching that age? Not, uh, not for a while, Pandora. <laughs> okay, not for 25 years. 25 years. Um, so in tw- as oh someone that's not necessarily 25 years away and as someone that also now has children, yeah, so you've yeah. got two little ones. How do you feel like that gives a new shape to your grief? Do you enter a new phase of your grief? Does it yeah. add, add some... <laughs> new level. Uh, grief <laughs> chapters? I'm running out of sort of metaphors here. It does. And I think it's definitely something people who are grieving talk about a lot when you hit the age. And I've, I, when I've had it a lot with people who lost siblings, because obviously you hit that age a lot quicker. So people who've lost, you know, maybe they were 21 and their sister was 25 and then they hit 25 and they're like, oh, I was the younger sister. Now I'm the, how am I older than my yes, older sister? Luck. And it just, yeah, you have to recalibrate a lot of stuff. But actually that's grief. I think that's the mistake we make is we go, oh, now this has happened. I must think about it. It's like, you're, that's every decision that changes you. We're always changing. We're not a fixed person. You're always having to go, oh, right. How do I feel about it now? I definitely think the age that they died at, if you lost someone young, definitely sort of sticks out. And I have an older brother, as I said, so that's more, he'll get there before me. So that's more, we're all a bit like, oh, he's nearly that age and he's got two kids. And then you, I think it just makes it more real when you get a snapshot of it from a different angle. So when he hits that, when he hits 44 and he's got two kids, we will look and me and my brother will see a family. And that's what we were. And, uh, you know, we're looking as adults. And when we were kids, we were like, you can't see yourself, if that makes sense, because you're in it. So we couldn't, we didn't think, oh, poor us. We've tragically lost our father. We were like, dad's died. If that makes sense, it's you're not, you're in it. And so when you can see, step back and go, oh, there's him that age with his two kids. If he went now, it would look like this. It just gives you a perspective on where you were. And I think you can have that about lots of things, not necessarily just grief. As grief is now your weekly gig, (laughs) does it ever get too much? Mm. It's something I did not envision when I started the podcast. I didn't think. Because I didn't think there'd be that many people who felt like I did. So I was like, oh, no one will really want to listen to this. And then obviously you open this door and you're like, whoa, 
like there's so many people who haven't been heard and I get emails, Instagram, Twitter, yeah, every single day. And sometimes it's essays of what's happened to them because they haven't had anyone to share that with. And at first I tried to reply to everything and obviously then I like nearly had a breakdown. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. So I had lots of therapy to work out why I'd opened that door. I think that's quite helpful to like, mm. well, why did you do that? And now, and then once you've worked out why you did that, um, yeah, boundaries of what I can and can't cope with. And I think what I've learned is I sometimes have to let people down and I can't be grief girl for everybody. I can do grief cast and I can give you an episode where you can feel listened to, but I can't write you back a really deeply personal email. Even though I'd l I want to, and the story is so beautiful and I want to help. If people write short, I need a recommendation for this. I'm like, boom, there you go. I'll always reply to things I can practically do. And what I've tried to do as well is there should be an episode, mostly, nearly, for every kind of grief. So if somebody says, do you have something on child loss or do you have something on sibling loss or suicide or um, early miscarriage, late miscarriage? Which is amazing because they are so, you wouldn't recommend a book to someone who's uh, lost a child about someone who's lost a partner. Exactly, because they're really different things and they, and they come at really different times of your life and... And I've read lots of, you know, di different grief books. And sometimes I'm like, ooh, not for me. Nothing is like, but my God, if someone writes about teenage grief, I'm like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. So you you need to find things that re resonate with you. I think that's yeah. fair enough. So I've tried to make it that there's an episode for that. And I can always recommend stuff. And, you know, I've read a lot of grief books. And Twitter is amazing. Like, obviously, it's, it's a really weird place. But the grief community on there is very supportive and and also I should add to anyone listening to the podcast or listening here today that following Griefcast on Twitter is great for resources oh, yeah, because yeah. lots of people share with you and then I retweet things yeah, 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 yeah. so it's like a good um timeline yeah. of things because that's what I wanted to ask you that is often it's not knowing where to find the resources yeah, yeah. what would be your your go-to Grief <laughs> toolbox kit oh, places. Yeah. Grief network we've mentioned. Yeah, grief cast on Twitter. Grief network is for young grievers, and there's also let's talk about loss and the new normal charity. Those are three charities that's been set up. Well, three organisations set up in the last couple of years, which are designed for young people, as in like I don't know, sixteen to thirty kind of thing. Of like you're not old. <laughs> Couldn't think of a better word. Um, so they're amazing. They organise meetups. They've organised um, online Zoom meetups during lockdown. Um, they have a lot of stuff on Twitter and Instagram. There's lots of other grief podcasts as well. There's one um, like like specifically dead parent podcast as well. The Twitter at the Griefcast and Instagram. What I tend to do is share stuff, or people email me with a problem, and I say, "Do you mind me sharing it?" Here's the Twitter link. So recently, a listener was like, um, "I can't afford my mum's funeral. I don't know what to do." God, that's just an example of the practical just you know yeah and I was like there must be an organization so I tweeted within two minutes someone was like oh the Quakers literally have an organization designed to help people pay for funerals and I was like wow. boom there you go <laughs> like Quakers. but that's oh the Quakers are amazing um just generally guys but um that's what I love about that sort of corner of Twitter that I have is that because we're all interested in talking about grief from different perspectives so there's like you know 
um, people who do forensic pathology on people who deal in like charities, people who deal in like religious support, um, especially for, you know, not white or uh, black and brown um, people grieving because that's a very different situation culturally than maybe a white person. So there's another mm. podcast, um, The Bereavement Room, which is specifically for people from the diaspora grieving so she's speaking maybe their Great. parents were first generation second generation because she feels that's a very different situation to have to grieve so there's so many like brilliant resources out there <clears throat> and if I can be that person that goes here go here go here then I feel useful yeah so I'll take it <laughs> well, that's lots of great things and I'll make sure they are all in the show notes <laughs> as well Thank you so much, Carrie-Anne. Thank you, Um, thank you. You're so incredibly inspiring. And Griefcast can be found on all good podcasts. All good pod shops. Wherever you get your pods from, go there. Yeah, and the new series starts October 6th for next season, season eight. Thank you so much for coming on to Doing It Right. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Doing It Right. You can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. And if you'd like, you can buy my book, How Do We Know We're Doing It Right? From any bookshop you like, Independent Always Better, Try Hive if you're shopping online, in which I discuss lots more of the myths and anxieties of modern life.